Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And this is your podcast for October 25th, 2020, Proper 20, the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, uh, and our last Sunday in October, uh, which is crazy. Bruce, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm not crazy, just on time. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I am. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it, uh, uh, amazing. Yet another month uh, is going by, getting ready to go into November, and the holiday season is upon us. I don't know if you've already noticed that there are very little... Uh, um, Thanksgiving decorations available in different stores, but there is definitely Christmas stuff already, um, <laughs> which is also crazy to me. I could do a whole podcast about that, but uh, yeah, um, uh, I have issues. I'm, I, I'm I'm becoming the the old man already uh, at my age, uh, uh, complaining about the way things are done. Uh, but <laughs> well, if if you don't you you don't have to be an old man to complain about that. Our daughter Bethany whose birthday sometimes falls on Thanksgiving, but it's usually you know right around then. Um, she's had a rule since she was a little kid that there's no Christmas music allowed in her hearing until after her birthday or Thanksgiving, whichever is later. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I'm with it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if she could do that as a youngster, you, it doesn't mean you're old that you do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Oh, well, then good. Uh, I'm glad that she and I are on the same page. I will, uh, even though not part of the family, I will adhere to her wishes. Um, uh, because, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and, and this rant, of course, uh, we are coming to you not live on behalf of Holy Family Episcopal Church in Fishers, Indiana. Uh, uh, and it's not, my rant is not sponsored by the church. I should point that out. Um, it's your personal opinion. My personal rant. Um, no. Though, since we do follow a liturgical calendar, it actually fits quite nicely, though liturgical calendar is even stricter, where we don't use Christmas music usually even during Advent. Mm -hmm. So it's not until usually the, roughly, the last week in December that you hear a single Christmas carol in an Episcopal church. That is true. That is true. Um, and... Uh, um... Yeah, I, I, I feel as though that the, uh, the and, and the older that I get, the more I recognize that I find myself enjoying Thanksgiving far more than I do uh, uh, <laughs> Christmas, as far as like the commercial holiday yeah. part of it. Yeah, um, there are three Thanksgiving commercials and you're done. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but I like that day. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah. Now, obviously, liturgically, there's not that much for Thanksgiving, so liturgically, I like christmas better but uh right. but uh here at home uh, i i like i like the day where we get together and have food and and uh yeah it, it tends to focus i mean in a good the good thing about thanksgiving is that it's so much easier to focus on the relationships with the people gathered mm -hmm. since you're not stressing about what to give as a gift if someone suddenly shows up you didn't expect Right. Whereas Thanksgiving, right. it's a lot easier just to come one, come all, or yep. though this year that'll be difficult. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. Uh, this year will be a very, very strange Thanksgiving, um, yeah. uh, and, and probably a very strange Christmas. Um, yeah. So um, the, the, the strangeness of 2020 will, not, uh, will probably not uh, alleviate, it doesn't look like, um, and uh, uh, that is un unfortunate, but uh, it is. It is it's also, 
going to be one of those ty- those things that you just kind of always talk about. Remember in 2020? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you deal with the reality of what life is and um, per- and hopefully find some spiritual insights through that. And, yeah. you know, it may be having a very quiet Christmas could be the, the best Christmas ever as the Hallmark specials always seek out. That's true. That's true. It, 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 I feel like at the here at the end of 2020, or as we get into the 2020 holiday season, um, uh, there should be some sort of speech by Linus um, <laughs> to make it better. You know totally. what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 there really should be. Uh, we should commission someone to. Uh, well, that that is in my life. That's my favorite reading of the Christmas story from a is from the Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus reciting it. That, yeah. That was the first time as a kid that I really paid attention, I think, to a Bible reading. And it has huh. um, really stuck with me. See? Yeah. Linus, yeah. the great uh, the, 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 the great spreader of the word. Um, and I just got to say, since we're completely on tangents, <laughs> <laughs> that in, at the Charles Schultz Museum in California that I visited a few, uh, number of times, it has um, a recreation of his work, work area, his study, his studio. Mm-hmm. And he had so many theology books because oh. whenever, and, and, in his biographies and interviews and stuff, he acknowledges that Linus is his theologian in the crew of kids, but he hmm. wanted to make sure that he, that Linus always spoke correctly. And so he had literally had on his shelf books that I had as part of my seminary education. And he wow. would s- study scripture. And you know, if Linus was going to quote scripture in a Wednesday comic strip, he wanted to make sure that, not only was the quote accurate, but that the interpretation was accurate for mainline Christianity, to, to put it broadly, but for pretty liberal mainline Christianity. Any Episcopalian can be very comfortable with Linus's theology. Very interesting. I had no idea that that was the case. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really was a, a woe a moment when I walked into that exhibit room and mm-hmm. saw the interpreter's Bible and so many other texts that I knew quite well. They're close to hand of his drawing board. Amazing. That, that yeah. really is, that really is kind of crazy. Cause uh, I never realized that was, it was so intentional, but I guess that makes more sense as to why uh, Linus stands out in our memories as, uh, as uh, the, the theologian he was intended to be. Yeah. Um, so that's, that is interesting. Yeah. Though I, it, I, to be to, he wasn't intended to be that. As with many novelists, that's how the character evolved unintentionally. Hmm. As as that aspect of Charles Charles Schultz's personality needed expression, he did mm-hmm. it through his uh, comic strip. I mean, oh. a much more simple example of that is he was a Giants fan, and that was usually Charlie Brown being right. a San Francisco Giants fan, being um, unable to kick the ball. <laughs> not that part. <laughs> No, there's a series of comic strips from when the Giants lost the World Series to the Yankees, uh, and seventh game. Oh, those Giants. I was going football. Okay, I got you now. And (laughs) Willie McCovey hit a line drive that everyone thought was going to be a base hit and would win the game, and instead the second baseman made this leaping catch 
And so I don't know for how many days, I think it was like a, like four days in a row, the comic strip was simply Charlie Brown and Linus leading on the, the wall of conversation that uh, often Charles Schultz set up and in the just leaning on it silently until the last panel, Charlie Brown would wave his arms and say, why couldn't McCovey have hit it one foot higher? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I you like look it, it up. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. They'll be talking about something completely different, and that'll be yeah. the end of the, 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 the panel. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, this is uh, this is uh, Charles Schultz 101. Thank you for <laughs> joining us. Uh, but fascinating, a very fascinating uh, conversation. So, uh, uh, on, so on, I'll, on I'll Bruce's it, part, not, not I'll mine. Pull, I'll say. reel it back in to say Charles Schultz is an example of a Christian whose various passions and interests had came to be expressed through his daily life, his art, his work, and that is an example for all of us, that whatever it is we hold dear will need expression, and therefore we have to be careful about what we hold dear and be very mm. intentional about it, such as Christ. Yeah. There, wrapped it up. Okay. There you go. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, it makes me feel terrible about the quote-unquote art uh, I put out in the world uh, in the form of, <laughs> I guess, this podcast? <laughs> I need to do better. Jeez. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, don't yell at drivers who cut you off. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I guess I could do that. <laughs> but yeah, if if you spend your time doing something if you're that's destructive to the world, that means that you need to do some work on your soul. Hmm. That's a that's a that's a good point. That is and a good if, point. And we all and have do, those, that's for sure. Yeah. And if you do things that build up the world around you in a positive way, you're you're probably in good stead with God, even if you're too modest to know that. Hmm. Hmm. Now, so see, this see, has I, been your podcast I for see, <laughs> Yeah, I feel crazy silly like trying to move on to my word of the day now. Like I'm trying to figure out like, all right, how do I transition smoothly? There is none. So our word of the day, <laughs> Bruce, uh, my, my, my stuff the priest word of the day here is uh, misericord. And I can spell it for you. Okay. It's M-I-S-E-R-I-C-O-R-D. And I, I'm assuming it's misericord instead of miser accord um because miser would lead you in the wrong total uh, definitely the wrong direction okay i'll take that as a hint so oh, does it no have... no no it is not oh. i'm just i'm just saying that that would be a distracting <laughs> way to say it uh okay uh, you'd okay. be like oh okay miser all right uh no misericord um is it a lamentation it is not Okay, I give up then. It is a uh, it is a ledge or rest on the underside of a hinged seat in a choir stall. Um, uh, technically, I think we have these in our uh, seats within our sanctuary. Uh -huh. uh, it, it's designed to provide quote unquote merciful as the is the is the quoted word here support for monks or others needing help to stand uh, during long periods of worship. Um, so the the it's those fold down uh, um, 
ledges that, that some of the chairs have. And I think ours are designed to have those installed, if I remember right. It's been a little while. Um, but the, the ones that like help, help you kneel or, um, is, is at least what I'm imagining, but perhaps I'm imagining the wrong yeah, I, thing. I can't can, find a picture of this. Oh, can, can, what's, can you just read the first sentence of, uh, definition a, again? A ledge or rest on the underside of a hinged seat in a choir stall. Okay. So I it comes from the, from the term, uh, in the, in the Latin for mercy. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, and I may be, I could be totally wrong on this, but I I think I've seen those, and the, it it's sort of like an armrest set that that swings up when you need it. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you're in, in, and and be at the level of standing, um, and when you don't need it, it just is hidden away under underneath the chair, so it it swings okay. up. What's that? Like 180 degrees, maybe, mm-hmm. and there it is, again for to provide a relief, to provide mercy when you have to stand for a long period of time. Gotcha. Now, yeah, there is actually a second definition to this too. Uh, oh no! Which, now I'm going to be proven wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because uh, it says the term is also used to describe a room set apart in a monastery for those whose age or infirmity requires some relaxation uh, of the community rule. So it's kind of like a, uh, the term also can apply to a, like, I guess spillover room where it's far more comfortable. Um, uh, the crying room for monks. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I guess your, no, your definition makes a little bit more sense than I guess, considering the pictures that I did find, because I was like, that's doesn't match the description in here. Like it was, it was talking about a hinge seat. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot more static, uh, um, pictures of like rests. They don't seem to be hinged. Um, but, um, but maybe that's, maybe it's just designed and and very well hidden in the image. So, uh, and, and I, I admit I could be wrong. You know, when I've seen, when you see furniture in churches and monasteries and stuff, they don't have labels on them to say Mm -hmm. what they are, but. I've seen that apparatus, so to speak, and so I presume that's what it is. Gotcha. Yeah, and and I guess this, so. I guess that makes some some sense. It hinges down so that they can rest on it and appear to be semi standing up yeah. at the same time, um, which is is interesting. So I guess I guess the the, um, the 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 hidden fact in there is that in the choir stall that you're standing. Uh, that they're not really seats, uh, uh, so uh, or or there are or, or is it a portion of the seat that folds down so that you can sit on it? Actually, I think it's a portion of the. Okay, a stall usually is a seat, just okay. like I mean I hate to say it, but just like we we're used to saying a toilet stall in a in a church, a stall is usually a seat, and so what I'm picturing is it's swinging upwards. That that's hit, it's hidden away underneath until you need it, and then you swing it upwards, and then you can lean on it. Well, uh, I commissioned someone to go um, <laughs> find working examples because I'm I, like I said, I, I did a Google search, and the images just aren't quite bringing it to life for me. So perhaps uh, I, feel a video, <laughs> I feel Legos. I feel a need for Legos here. 
So if there's like a, 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 a video somewhere of, of, of it in practice, that would be kind of cool to see because I'm, I'm having trouble picturing how this actually works. Yeah. But, um, well, and what's great about monasteries and convents is that they usually show the wider church what is needed for worship. Mm -hmm. And so here's an example of something that as you have uh, aging congregation or a congregation that's less than perfectly abled, you make allowances for it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, often Christians really don't take that into account and think they should, in order to please God, always be able to do every liturgical posture that they've been able to do since they were a little kid. Mm. And God doesn't need that. Yeah. yeah God wants sure. your attention, certainly, but doesn't need you to throw your back out by going to church. Yeah, that it helps no one. <laughs> right, <laughs> that, right. That helps no one. Um, but yeah, so that's a, so misericord, uh, uh, a a a thing that I was probably initially wrong on, and <laughs> <laughs> even though I had the definition in front of me, <laughs> but I may be wrong. So we no, just, I mean, played around with the linguistics, and here we are. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We slogged through it together, and may may we both uh, uh, find mercy in our <laughs> yes, in our probably wrong definition. And let me bring up um, Charles Schultzings. That I know about. <laughs> so Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus. <laughs> Let's go, Leviticus. Our first reading today then is uh, Leviticus chapter nineteen, verse one through two, and then fifteen through eighteen. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for the Lord your God am holy. For, for I, Sorry, I missed the word. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's kind of important, yeah. It, it makes, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With injustice, you shall judge your... Sorry? With yeah. justice... <laughs> Devil got your tongue. <laughs> oh my gosh. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor and you shall, or you will incur, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And obviously, the coffee has not fully kicked in yet. Um, so um, let's start with uh, Leviticus as a book. It's been a little while since we've done Leviticus. Yeah. So remind remind us where uh, where is Leviticus as far as uh, a time frame from when it was written? Do we what do we know about its author? Uh, tell us a little bit more about this book. Well, it's one of the key books of the Hebrew Scriptures. For um, Orthodox Jews, particularly conservative Orthodox Jews, it's considered one of the most holy books of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's um, part of what is called the Torah, that section of the Hebrew Scriptures that is poorly translated as the law, but that is mm -hmm. a, a direct, literal translation. And it's um, generally considered to be written by a couple different communities. The most well-known one is that it was a collection of writings 
by the priests of um, worship. So it because ha- it has a lot of liturgical instructions, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the reasons why Christians and even Jews tend not to know it very well because it it's kind of those those passages are seen to be out of date since there's no longer um, temple worship. There's no longer lambs being sacrificed and that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, in fact, I just, I'm just looking at a footnote. The um, early name for it was the priest's manual. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's, it takes materials from the book of Exodus that have to do with priestly ministry, um, includes them, and then adds many other things. Uh, and, yeah, so it's it's a fascinating book. I led a Bible study on it, oh gosh, probably 16 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked my local rabbi about what commentaries he'd recommend for it that would really be able to talk about the Jewish meaning meanings rather than just Christian um, interpretations of, of Leviticus. And he asked me why, and I told him and that we were having a Bible study on it. And he said, I can't even do a Bible study on this at the temple. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, most people find it really is the inside baseball book of the Bible where it's, I don't blame anyone for thinking it's unimportant or wanting to just skim through it or skip it altogether. Mm-hmm. But if you give it time and delve into the symbolic meanings, which were certainly part of the intent of keep of preserving it as the symbolic meanings, then it can be pretty rich to spiritually rich to spend time with. Yeah. Um, the, so the, this particular passage here, um, um, reads like almost kind of like a, a an alternate version of uh, some of the Ten Commandments uh, given down to Moses, uh, which is why I find it interesting that this is. I, I know Leviticus is kind of generally part of, of of an attributed work that deals. I don't think it's attributed to Moses, but deals but, with. Well, technically, it is, but. It's not. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it definitely does uh, uh, utilize Moses as a very central figure, um, mm-hmm. and and as as evidenced by the way this one starts. Um, so, um, is that in, intentional? That the, it sounds like because it, it it's another "you shall not" list, right? Um, right, uh, and not part- rendering unjust judgment. And if you read it right, uh, it makes sense. <laughs> Well, it's a comment. What we have are essentially uh, verses that are commentary on a section of the what we call the Ten Commandments that occur in the portion that we skip. Mm. So, oh, okay. Uh, we skip thirteen verses, and those are particularly the behavior verses of the, the, the second half of the Ten Commandments. Got so, it. So this, so you're right. This, this echoes the Ten Commandments because it is a commentary of them. Yeah, um, it 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 uh, as far as just uh, simple statements, it does kind of go into a little bit more um, words explaining 
proper behavior. And I, if I remember right, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, as you pointed out, kind of instructional language mm-hmm. in the first five in in the in the Torah in the I think the other word for it is uh, the Pentateuch, uh, yep. which is the first five, uh, meaning the first five books. Um, but like of just how to live life. Uh, and I, I guess it makes sense if those books were liturgical instruction because it's the beginning of, of um, you know, the church community. Uh, and mm-hmm. so all the rules need to be uh, written kind of for the first time. This is kind of like their... Uh, their uh, um, uh, their constitution, as it were, and laying the groundwork and the foundation for everything that comes later. Um, well, I I wouldn't go so far as say it was their constitution, because sure, yeah, I, I just mean as a framing framing device. It's like the framework of. It's more. Hmm, it's more a collection of good ideas around how to live your life. Okay. So I'm purposely trying to use non-institutional language. Okay. okay. Because because there, when this was written down, there would have been people who would have just said, no, don't like that one. Uh, <laughs> either about a section or the entire collection. Because it... Leviticus deals both with what the, the professionals, so to speak, though they weren't professionals, should be doing with worship, the priest, priestly caste, which was, for the most part, voluntary people. Mm-hmm. People volunteered to do those liturgical things, and what, how people should live their everyday lives, which we now call the Holiness Code. And this comes mm-hmm. from the Holiness Code part, which is, how should an individual live? But what's interesting is that even though it at times says, you know, this is an abomination before the Lord. About, I, I just read that in the um, skipped verses about don't eat meat after it's three days after it was cooked. Um, it, there wasn't any punishment for it. It was just like, this is dumb. Don't do mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the meat's spoiled for crying out loud. Um, so it's, it, it's, not, it's not like a group of faithful people sat down and said, what do we think is the most important thing that folks should always do forever and ever? Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's more likely to be a collection of, you know, this is what's worked really well for us. And we don't want people to forget what's worked well in the past. And we think has great symbolic value and will help keep them uh, from getting too far off track. So it's more, okay, someone could really knock me over the head for saying this, but it's more like spiritual helpful hints than a spiritual constitution. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, obviously uh, um, um, it's, it's kind of difficult. It's always, it's always a a reminder uh, that of like the way we read these words now is different than how they would have been uh, taken then. So, um, it would be easy for me to, to, to kind of, uh, and obviously was easy for me to kind of assume that this was uh, uh, kept around in, as, as part of more of an institutional collection. Right. Um, uh, but uh, I, I'm also kind of struck by how some of these, some of these phrases here, you can kind of see that they start with a smaller idea that kind of gets built on later. 
and, and made a, a kind of a larger concept uh, as the years go by and, and as, as, uh, as uh, Christ uh, uh, comes in his ministry on, on earth. Uh, specifically, I'm seeing like a, um, 17, um, you shall not hate any in your heart any one of your kin. There's like that qualifier of like, we're just, we're just asking you to worry about this smaller, close-knit circle of people that you should care about. Uh, but, and then like, as the years go by, the, the, the concept kind of grows and it, you kind of remove the words of, uh, your kin and just leave it with, uh, hate, you shouldn't hate anyone. Uh, you should love everyone and, and kind of the concept just kind of gets bigger, but it's kind of interesting to see, um, yeah, that, yeah, at least it, in this interpretation that it seems to be a, a smaller, uh, um, idea than it, what it becomes later. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that that, that expansion of to to quote Jesus, who is the you know, Good Samaritan story, uh, to answer who is my neighbor. That expansion actually takes place within the Hebrew Scriptures. We, mm. we talk about it many times because we've had it many times recently. But the Book of Isaiah and the Book of Jeremiah um, expand. Who is your kin? Who is your neighbor? Right. Who who do these uh, guidelines apply to who do you have to behave ethically towards and so by the time Jesus ha was born there was certainly a belief that it applied to everyone right yeah and, yeah, yeah. Um, and not everyone of course followed that just like today um, there was you know there would be people who would be happy to say oh yeah I I very much am a guy who follows Leviticus but I still hate the Samaritans <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, yeah, because because he's not my people. He's not yeah, among our he's people. He's not my kin. Uh, he's he lives in that northern land, which is walking distance. But still, <laughs> right, 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 right. But yeah, it's it. But but in a way, it it really does make sense. I mean, you would just as a simple concept. I think we do this with our with our own kids. You kind of talk about like you know, no, don't hit your sister, right. <laughs> yeah, you start usually, small and work up. Yeah, that's usually the way it, you know the the first instruction that happens, and then you go, okay, remember how I did? I told you not to hit your sister. You're also not supposed to hit other people. Yeah, <laughs> like, you just gotta you you, you got to start small. Uh, and uh, I think I've said it on the podcast before um, that uh, that uh, um, really the, the the feeling that I do get as I as we read uh, through the books of the Bible, we're it really is a parenting like relationship that we have. And, and so uh, it makes sense that Leviticus would start uh, in, in this smaller space and like, okay, well at least just, at least just don't hate the people you see every day. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And then by Isaiah, the, the prophet is ta talking about all the peoples of the earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it, be it becomes truly universal. The ethics become truly universal. Uh, so yeah, it's fun to see that develop that spiritual development. Right now that you can handle that, <laughs> yeah, no, which I still no. had trouble with actually. But oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. And so but, you know, it could be more. What were the experiences of the people becoming? Because mm. it's arguable that at least when the thoughts of Leviticus were first written down, the tribe tribe of Israel really didn't have much contact with folks besides their kin, you know, trading right. with folks and stuff, but not, at least um, by tradition, not a lot of intermarriage and that sort of thing. But by the time of Isaiah, 
the Middle East had become extremely cosmopolitan and mm-hmm. uh, ocean, ocean travel was possible and wheeled transportation was widespread and common and that sort of thing. So that, Yeah, the world got bigger. Yeah, the world got bigger. And mm-hmm. God kept, in a sense, claiming all of it when as people's awareness became bigger. Hmm. Very good. Well, let's move on to uh, yeah. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, which I will strive to read a little bit better than I did for, for Leviticus. <laughs> That's hard to do when it's Paul, but go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals. Whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Um, there seems to be some backstory that we don't know here, or that I'm not aware of here. So. Uh, uh, is there any gap here that you can fill in uh, about like the um, the shameful mistreating of them at Philippi? It sounds like the, like you know very well what happened here, and I'm not entirely sure I do. What what happened at at Philippi? Well, the the thing that happened in Philippi is in the Book of Acts, um, chapter sixteen, and Paul and Silas were arrested by mm. the Roman authorities um, and they were eventually freed um, this is the story where they're arrested because they had healed uh, Lydia who was a money maker um, and maybe it was Lydia maybe that's not her no. maybe I, I, you're right I, I'm pulling it up I'm, I'm, oh okay <laughs> as you're talking I'm pulling it up um, no, but it's not Lydia, but it was a different woman. Lydia was the woman who was offering them hospitality. Right, 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 But then after that, Paul and Paul healed a woman who was a moneymaker because she could give um, prophecies, and probably was more of a carnival act. Mm-hmm. And so the um, keeper of that woman had Paul arrested and Silas arrested for cutting off his income. And... Um, they were beaten in public and um, treated much more harshly than Paul, who was a Roman citizen, should have been treated. And so the way the story ends is with people, the, when the Roman authorities realize he's a Roman citizen, they let him go and they go back to Lydia's house. Um, so it was scandalous that a Roman citizen was treated that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, again, this is one of the, earliest writings of Paul so it's one of the earliest times he was arrested if not the earliest time and 
it was a public embarrassment to everyone that whether they were Christians or not, that a Roman citizen had been arrested and beaten in the, the city of Philippi. Hmm. So, so, I mean, you, you did gloss over, I shouldn't even say gloss over, you did, did not mention uh, one aspect of that story in chapter 16. Um, Do tell. Which is when they're in prison. That's the story when they're in prison and the, the ground shook and everything opened and and they could have just walked out right am i yeah. am i wrong i'm pretty uh, sure it is yeah so uh um which is should we then take though that that uh, is also kind of like a a um a silent reference here when he talks about his shameful mistreating at philippi would that have been an aspect that the thessalonians would have then immediately thought of not just that he was jailed and when they finally realized he was a Roman citizen and they let him go after like beating him and jailing him, but would that not have also come shackled with the story of like, and Oh yeah. Remember that time where like, uh, uh, uh the, 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 the ground shook and, uh, God displayed his awesome power. It uh, could uh, be. Because it, it, that feels like it could be a very Paul thing, where he kind of like slides in like a a reference that then also um, gives him some additional authority. Yeah, yeah. In that way, you're right. Um, um, that um, you know, yeah. Paul is like, yeah, remember that stuff. You know, that I'm going to yeah. modestly just say, I know y'all know. I don't have to tell you. Right. We all know what happened at Philippi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And pointing around like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and that didn't chase me off. And right. I'm I'm still a preacher of the gospel wherever I go, and I'm not like my competitors who, when that happens, disappear into the wilds and you never hear from them again. So, so why does he take uh, time to to mention this? Uh, is it have there been people prior to him that do then have then visited uh, the Thessalonians uh, with deceit and impure motives or trickery in their heart? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, uh, are they? Is he trying to separate himself from? another person or another group of people who have uh, come through and uh, bamboozled them in some way or something, or like, I, I'm curious as to why he, he brings it up. Well, it, it was a very common event to have roving philosophers mm, in, okay. in the um, Greek territories, which were part of the Roman empire but um, historically we're Greek. And yeah, so he's, he knows there are people that see him as simply like one of those guys gotcha. that, that come through and to, to use a now dated um, reference, stand on their soapbox on the village square and speak their mind. Um, he, he knows people will see him in that way. And by, referencing these events in Philippi, he's showing he's much more than that. that gotcha. He's a divine messenger, that he has favor with God, and also he's willing to suffer for the words he says. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes some that makes some sense. Um 
Uh, and then when he's saying we, do we know kind of like what his um, traveling band here uh, 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 consists of? Like, uh, is it? Oh, well, oh bit... wait, wait, or is that or is that what was mentioned last week? Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So let me click back here and double check. So because uh, um, he starts off in chapter one himself, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. So at right. least that is the the. Um, uh, creator of the letter right and so that would be the we that he is still referring to the we then carries into uh, chapter 2 yeah so he's he's not being um, a snob and using a royal we it it does he tries to have the letter come from all three of them Mm -hmm. even though linguistically we know yeah this is Paul right Right, um, and again, and like we, we said last week, uh, Sylvanus was just like the tack on at the end. Like, yeah, sure, I can throw your name in here. That's fine. Um, and again, as we said, as I said last week, and uh, not to use a royal we, that it's the oldest um, writing in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm sorry, in the New Testament. In the New Testament, right? So it may be in part Paul had not yet gained full confidence in it in his credibility to be a singular author, hmm. but wanted to include um, these other two people that uh, Thessalonians knew and probably loved as well as Paul. And also to give um, the other two credibility for when they went back to Thessalonia. That, you, you know, what's interesting uh, as, as you re mentioned that it's the oldest uh, book in the new Testament or probably, um, at, at least, uh, uh, it's at least probably the oldest book. That means that this book references uh, something that's written down in a book that comes before it in the order of the Bible, but wasn't anything in existence. He, 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 right. he references the mistreating at Philippi, which, as you pointed out, is Acts uh, chapter 16, but this was written down before those words were written down, exactly. uh, at least in the form that we have. Um, right. Uh, uh, so that's kind of interesting. Isn't that, it, though? Uh, that that uh, the reference comes first uh, uh, as far as how old it is, and then uh, we get the backstory. So we get, so you get, we, we get the, there's, a, there's all sorts of prequels here in the New Testament, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of inter- interesting uh, to see how that then fills in. And it does kind of make you wonder, um, uh, one, are there other versions of those events written down that just didn't survive history? Quite, that's um, quite the question. And uh, uh, if so, were any of those uh, uh, writings uh, more fantastic uh, or, or, uh, or less, had, had, had less... Uh, um, mysticism or mystery in it at like was it was an earlier version of the story just simply oh yeah he was arrested beaten uh and jailed and then let go uh and then <laughs> yeah you know what i mean or was it even more fantastic uh that the, the you know the the doors of the prison um uh, uh were blown open and a fiery pillar appeared in the, you know <laughs> you yeah know, it, well it could, one, of, uh, one of the interesting things to think about and i'll try not to make this a too much of a tangent is I look at how many pictures I took of my children when they were infants 
and I compare that to how many pictures I have of my grandchildren. Mm. And it's a huge, huge difference because now we have electronic photography, which doesn't cost any money mm-hmm. besides buying the phone or whatever the instrument is. Whereas you know, I had to very carefully budget for how much film I was going to use, how much I was going to spend on developing, how many prints I was going to need to send to extended family and friends. And so it was just economically not possible to take as many photos as even I take now of grandchildren. The same thing happens with any kind of communication technology. So in the time of Paul, the writing materials were not cheap. They weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't out of reach, but they were not cheap. <clears throat> and so people at times did abbreviate or, or skip details in order to save the, in order to, to conserve the resources they had to be able right. to write more letters. You didn't go into a lot of, a lot of flowery writing. Whereas as, paper and postage and ink became less and less expensive, the writing style became more and more flowery through the centuries. When you look at a Victorian letter versus a Pauline letter, they're so different. Right. So, yeah, one of the things that everyone wants to know, not everyone, maybe just churchers want to know, <laughs> is what else was served at the Last Supper? Right. And, and probably in part because it would have cost money that was very, very rare to write down the entire menu. The entire menu was not written down, just the key features. Right. And so the same thing with any of <clears throat> Paul's ministries and any of the adventures of Paul of the other apostles that are written down in the book of Acts. So are you saying that uh, had, uh, the, had the writing materials been uh, less expensive, uh, that we might very well have communion that also then has, uh, you know, the, 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 this is, this is the bread. This is my body. This is the wine. This is my blood. This is the cheese. Yeah. That I, <laughs> and, yeah. but, 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 but the, uh, the, the authors were just like, I, I, he did it like nine times. I can't go into all of them. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yes. To the extent that, <laughs> We I'm have, just trying to push you into a sacrilegious space here. Um, well, no, you can't because render under Caesar what is Caesar's. There you uh, go. Be, because um, in the Didache, which is uh, one of the oldest non-biblical writings, so it's post-Bible, mm-hmm. um, there is within it, prayers for the Eucharist that do include blessings for olives and cheese and other items hmm. that imply and it's that imply that the earliest Eucharists were a full meal. I mean it, it kind of makes it makes a lot of sense considering the background. Uh, I know this is another tangent, but uh, um, it, considering the background of of uh, the, the the individuals who are characters in the story, uh, all being uh, uh, of, of Jewish background, you know, a, a seder uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, all, all the meal based uh, uh, kind of wor- really worship experiences because a lot of them really are. Yeah. Um, uh, 
are, are centered around a meal. And it's, it, there was, have always been aspects, uh, to those meals that were, uh, I guess I would use the word pro prolific because it was always like, this is, you know, the bitter herbs. This is the, this is the, this, this is the, that, and everything had meaning and uh, had a, has a very rich, uh, background to it. So it would make sense that the, the last supper had probably had more aspects to it than, than what ended up getting captured in, yeah. uh, uh on, on paper because, uh, um, that was the way they did stuff. That was, that was, would have been normal uh, and for them. And even the pagan religions <clears throat> had full meals that mm -hmm. were considered communion in a different way, communion with the gods. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that when a sacrifice was made to a god at a Roman temple, everyone got to eat what was sacrificed. Right, right, right. It, right. it was the community barbecue and you know side dishes and such. Right. So, yeah, it, that was a very common dynamic with public worship. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then let's, unless there's something else you want to point out, let's, let's move pause. on. Okay. Uh, move to Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 46. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Um, so this is uh, just just for cl quick clarification. This These are the verses that immediately precede last week's uh, story about... Um, the, the, the coin and whether or not to pay taxes. Um, so there's, there's a, uh, there seems to be this, this, uh, this chess match of testing that, that, that goes on. Uh, Actually, there's one little piece of the testing that also is there. And that's a challenge about the resurrection of everyday people. Oh, wait, what? Where? <laughs> what? what? Yeah. Yeah, verses 23 through uh, 33. Oh, that's right. It does. It, you're right. It doesn't immediately proceed. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I looked at it and I looked at it wrong. Um, so there's there's a section in between, huh? Yeah. Um, who who asks what question of whom then? Well, it, that's part of the interesting thing that um, to, to talk about. But we're not talking about the. Hey, the look, we left the, the the lectionary reading puts in a gap here in Matthew. That is yeah. just not acceptable. <laughs> so it's a it's a um, challenge by the Sadducees, who okay. are a whole different uh, group within Judaism at that time, who mm. were what we would now call biblical literalists, and who only allowed the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew mm -hmm. Scriptures, also called the Book of 
books of Moses, mm-hmm. uh, which include Leviticus, they only they said it has to be in there in order for it to be true. That the rest of the Hebrew scriptures are simply commentary on the first five books. Huh, so, okay. since in their opinion, the resurrection of everyday people is not described, they say there's we it, it's improper to believe in it. And so Jesus goes through a little scripture study with them of Jesus saying, Moses said this, and therefore it shows that Moses believed in the resurrection of all people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's the comeuppance of the Sadducees at following the comeuppance of the Herodians. Mm-hmm. And then in 34, where today starts, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and started questioning him. Jesus. Hmm. So it's this progression uh, through chapter uh, 22 in Matthew of each of the significant groups within Judaism challenging Jesus and Jesus being able to stand up to every one of the challenges. The only one I, I say that there is an exception, the zealots who wouldn't have, who were the, basically the revolutionaries. Um, who were advocating armed uprising against Rome and would have been too dangerous for them to be in Jerusalem uh, during the week of the Passover. Mm, okay. So you know, they weren't eligible to be on the scene for these conversations. Interesting. So um, so in a way, he gets tested three times, right? At least. Here? Um, well, I mean, as far as, as far as this book goes, uh, or, or this, this chapter, he gets, he essentially gets tested. There, there are three, t- uh, three tests. There's another one. Where's the, where? <laughs> following today's. Oh, a- after. Uh, oh no, it's the second part of today's. Uh, the second part. Well, he then turns it on his head after the three tests. Does he not? Yeah. In some ways. Um, yes. Okay, I, mean, I was just I was just being struck by uh, so the Pharisees try to trap him about uh, the tax uh, to Caesar, the Sadducees try to t- uh, to test him and, and trap him on uh, resurrection and uh, whose whose bride will uh, the the widow be in you know during the resurrection, uh, then the Pharisees try again to trap him. Uh, or test him on the greatest commandment in the law. So I was struck by uh, um, how he's being tested three times, which in my mind kind of mirrors the, the, his testing in the wilderness by the, uh, uh, of the, the three tests that he has there. Only this story ends where he then gets to test the testers. Uh, well, but, but they, the Pharisees started there. Oh, okay. Okay. Because they do say, the Pharisees say, um, nope, nope, you're right. I misread that. Yeah. Jesus challenges them about who do you think the Messiah, whose son is he? Right. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah, so the the magic, not the magic, the holy number of three, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which which exists in comedy, too. Uh, (laughs) Right. But, But, uh, yeah, but but it's very common in the scriptures. And and he, but so I, I I get 
uh, I, I think the the uh, I'm not entirely sure why the this test by the uh, the, the second test by the Pharisees uh, after they tested them about taxes and then the Sadducees Sadducees took their turn. They come, one of the lawyer Pharisees comes back to him asking about uh, which commandment in the law is grace. I'm not entirely sure why how this is how this is a test like is there a wrong answer he could have given were they trying to trap him somehow well that's the it's more like okay in the the test we had last week of do you pay taxes to caesar or not he mm -hmm. gave an an in-between answer of right. give to caesar what is caesar's here it's it's almost the inverse where for centuries People had been um, arguing, pondering, meditating on which of the commandments is the greatest. Mm -hmm. And sort of the, the consensus was they're all equal. Or these are the top group. And Jesus steps in and says, no, there is one great one. Hmm. Um and so in, in some ways he does the opposite of what he did the first time where he splits the difference. And here he kind of splits the difference, but also says, come on, you know this, but you've just right. overlooked it because uh, it comes from Deuteronomy. It's not something he makes up on the spot. And um, so in that way, he basically tells them, you haven't even been doing your job right. You haven't even used your approach in the proper way because it would have been obvious to anyone because God doesn't hide the truth that the what we now call the golden rule is mm -hmm. the greatest commandment. Right. And then Which, obviously the second one being referenced here in Leviticus, uh, our Leviticus reading for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Levi yeah, Leviticus has a portion of it too. Yeah. And so what's and what's interesting, so that we don't come down hard on Jesus' audience here, is that so much of Christian history has been people completely ignoring this teaching mm -hmm. and saying, oh, no, no, not not saying no to this, but saying, oh, yeah, that's, of course, the most important one. But we're going to enforce equally the commandments around what we eat or right. all the other much more trivial ones um, and and Christians being willing to kill each other over which ones they think are just as important. So I, I think I have to ask, though, because uh, I, I get a little lost in Jesus's testing them. Um, okay. What is, so, so he, the, the, the base question is, what do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Um, and they, they say David. Uh, so, so the Messiah is the son of David. Um, but I, I get a little lost as to uh, why, uh, like, the, the inner workings of this question. Can you kind of follow, uh, take us through this as to, to, to how this is a test to the Pharisees and why they get stumped? Well, part of it is um, is this is when Jesus attacks the undermines is a better way to put it, undermines the expectations people had about what what was the Messiah going to be, not just who the Messiah was going to be. Mm -hmm. So the, the 
various beliefs around the Messiah being son of David was that this was going to be another king. Right. Earthly earthly king, a political military leader. And so this directly undermines that because it basically puts forward the theology of the pre-existence of the Messiah before David was alive. Hmm. Okay. That David's already calling him Lord. Gotcha. So it's it's a very actually a very complex theological concept that wouldn't probably would not have even made sense to the listeners in the moment um, unless they were extremely holy people. Uh, but after Jesus was resurrected, and it's clear he was breaking all the rules about what humanity was about in his mm-hmm. form, then people would say, oh, okay, this is beginning to make more sense. Right. Yeah, because I suppose, it, yeah, the, the, the individuals couldn't have really possibly imagined uh, how the messiah um prophecy was going to be fulfilled it was just kind of beyond their understanding and of course they would they would have thought of a another king uh, uh the the lineage of david were you know that was kind of the that was kind of their thing uh they being kings and rulers of the land uh but also um that's just you know their minds had not been able to reach to to the depths of of resurrection and and a and a heavenly kingdom uh as opposed to like a physical ruling kingdom and overthrowing the 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 romans so that Uh, that yes and there were there were people among the faithful who had begun to who had certainly walked far down the the accurate road that isaiah set out that the Messiah was not going to be a military leader and was not going to be a political leader, but instead would be someone whose focus was going to be on people's relationship with God. Um, But they didn't have a sense that it was going to be anything like who Jesus, well, I shouldn't say like anything, but it would not be in the form of a portion of God walking the earth. So Mm -hmm. in a sense, there were, would have been a number of people who could have heard this and say, okay, so, yeah, we're, we're on track in terms of not a military leader, not a political leader, but I'm not sure where we're going with this. And mm-hmm. Jesus could have said, wait, you know, wait five days and it'll all make sense. <laughs> right. This is yeah. very close to the crucifixion of arrest of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, shoot, what is that? Uh, is it, I think it's the next chapter? Maybe 24? Yeah, we're, very, um, you know, we're in the neighborhood. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's coming in Matthew. Uh, it's, it's definitely the uh, soon hereafter. Um, which is probably why uh, these stories, you know, these little, these little tests have probably occurred throughout a, a fair amount of his uh, ministry. Um but the probably a good reason why they're captured at this point uh, in the story because they they were the most recent memory of those around uh, Jesus uh, that these were these would have been the occurrences they would have deeply reflected on considering what happens uh, yeah. shortly thereafter 
Um, and as you pointed out, this was this would have been the thing that the a story like this would have been what some people would have immediately gone back to. Oh, I bet that's what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> it makes so yeah. much more sense because uh, the you know the the individuals involved in the story would have uh, wouldn't have had as much time to for, forget this interaction and forget the specifics of what was said. Um, right. So um, definitely makes some sense uh, there. Uh, anything else about this passage before oh, we wrap it up? So much more, but we better wrap it up. Well, we'll, we'll have to tune in to your sermon uh, uh, in order to get that. Uh, your actually this Ooh. week, the Reverend Kathy Gray will be offering the sermons both in person and with the online worship. Good. Hers will be a lot more thoughtful. Oh, um, it will. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, uh, it's likely to be completely different in a good way from what we've been talking about. So you yeah, get a yeah. whole you get a whole new angle on it. There you go. Yeah, no, uh, it's something to very much to look forward to uh, uh, then and see um, uh, where she draws her her homily in, inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, as you pointed out, th- that that will be available both online and fingers crossed in person. Uh, who knows if we get snowed or rained or thunderstormed out or yeah, COVID COVIDed out uh, of in-person meetings. Uh, But uh, as we're recording this thus far, uh, uh, we plan on, on, on in-person, but we will have that outside socially distance. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. You should mention that. Offered at eight and 10. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so, uh, look forward to that. Uh, if that is, is still not your thing, uh, feel free to check out our online worship at HFEC videos. Uh, it'll be posted there Saturday afternoon, uh, so that you can, uh, come to worship, uh, as, as, uh, time allows and as, as, uh, as works best for you. Uh, feel free to visit our website to see what else is going on, hfec.org. Uh, and until next week, I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye.